This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. We'll begin today in the book of Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Now, I'm going to inform you this is, this is my last Sunday on this enemy called Average. And so again, uh, the Lord Jesus, he told the disciples, especially the, the, the uh, disciple Peter, In John 21, he said, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. He's talking about give them the word of God. And so again today, I'm going to give you a a dose of the word of God that I believe it's been neglected to teach within the church, but I think it's that important that we do it. And so what happens in our life that we we either are going to do things God's way or we're going to do things the world's way. And every one of us in here with the choices and the decisions we make, if I don't do it God's way, I alter the destiny that God has for me. And so we begin here this morning in Genesis 2. Now, again, let let the Word of God teach us here, okay? Genesis 2, verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden. Now, I got to get this again because written right in there, God's the creator and we're the creation, okay? So God took this man named Adam and he put him in the garden and then he said to it, he said, you tend to it and you keep it. Now, I can't tend to it and keep it unless I have authority. So right there, God says, I'm going to give you authority here on earth. Verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it you shall surely die, or you will live a death-like existence. So when you begin to look at this, what he just tells him, he gives this man named, named Adam the ability to choose. And when I choose what God desires, there's a blessing, but when I don't choose what God desires, There becomes a a curse upon my life. And so not only do I have to live in the area of sin, I then live with the consequences of sin. Jump with me to verse 24, same chapter. Uh, Verse 18, let me finish it first. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I, now in my Bible, I highlighted I. That's God. I will make him a helper comparable to him or a companion for him. Now, again, this was God's idea. Verse 24. And Adam said, or therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, when you look at this, this partnership that God created, not only was it special to God, God took it very seriously. Now, in verse number 24, there's three aspects you've got to get. The first one, he says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. When you look at that right there, there's a priority change. And what he's talking about here is there must be a a public act or a public vow that the, the man promises himself to his wife for life. The second thing is, he said, he shall be joined. The man leaves, and then he shall be joined to his wife. Some translations say to cling, others say to cleave. 
This becomes a passion, but a permanence. And then the third one he says here, they shall become one flesh. When it talks about one flesh, it's talking about physically, spiritually, and emotionally. Now, a strong marriage will have all three of these aspects. But what we got to get there in verse 24, this was God's idea. This wasn't man's idea. And so the interesting part about marriage is said, then they shall become one. And so I like to call marriage God's sense of humor. And so what I mean by that is what God does. He takes the difference between a male and the difference between a female. The feminine side and the masculine side. And then you know as well as I do, men can only do one thing good at a time where women are multitaskers. So he throws that in the mixing pot. And then he does something that's always real interesting. Opposites normally attract. So he puts in this mixing bowl this one that's very organized, and he puts this one who just likes to have fun in life. And then what he does, he elbows Jesus and says, this one's going to be really good. This one's going to be really interesting. And so it's a process of becoming one. That normally doesn't happen overnight. If you've been married very long, you find that out, that you realize, man, we are really, really, really different. We're opposites. So I like to say this way. In marriage, you find out what makes each other tick, and you stay what ticks each other off. And the more I stay with, away from what ticks my wife off, the better I found out my life will be. Now, I didn't have you to go to verse 22, but in verse 22, he says this, that he caused the deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And from Adam, he took one of his ribs, and out of that rib, he created the woman. And it says specifically, then God brought the woman to the man. Now, the reason I want to highlight that is because that is cross-referenced to Hebrews 13. So go with me to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 4. And you're going to see what that cross-reference, that when it says God took the woman to man, and we're going to see what takes place here. Now, what's, what's interesting with all this is the cross-reference that I begin to cross-reference and see where it goes in and out of the Bible. And I encourage you to do that. But the cross-reference on this sermon it took me 10 hours to cross every area that I needed to get to. And so when I begin to cross them, you know what I realized real quick? Marriage is a big deal to God. Biblical marriage is a big deal to God. And I believe with all my heart, this needs to be taught in our homes and to our children. So we pick up in Hebrews 13, verse 4. Marriage is honorable to all, or to be held in honor to all. And the bed, or the marriage bed, is to be undefiled. So he's talking about we, we got to guard against sexual immorality. And so when you see the word undefiled there, God wants us to live in that area where it's blessed. The marriage bed is undefiled. So I look at the opposite of the word undefiled, and that word is defiled. And the word defiled means to corrupt 
or to pollute. When I get outside of the marriage covenant, I've become defiled. I don't care who you are. And so I've got to stay in what Father God says in this specific area. So when you begin to look at this here, understand 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says this specifically, that sexual sin is the only sin which man sins against himself. So literally stating, when we get into sexual sin, you've literally caused a self-inflicted defilement that you've become corrupt and become polluted because I've gone against what God said. I knew this would be popular. Keep reading. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Not a big deal. No, it's not a big deal. It's huge. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 5.5, he said, The sexual immoral will have no part in the kingdom of God. And so when I look at what God's saying here, when I live within in the, the, the area that God sets up, there's always a blessing. And so what happens as human beings, we have this thought. Well, give me a list of do's and don'ts. Why would we say that? Because we have the thought, I want to push the envelope. I, I want to see how far I can go without getting into sin. Well, the answer to that is, how far do you want your destiny to be? Do I want to live in the things of God? Because again, even in this area, I'm either going to do it God's way or I'm going to do it man's way. Now there's a law I call the law of familiarity. And how the law of familiarity looks is the more familiar you get with a person, the more comfortable you get. So let me ex explain or give you uh, an example of how the law of familiarity works. Many, 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 many moons ago, I ran across a lady named Shelly. And I began to notice her. How'd you notice her, Pastor? With these things called my eyes. I began to gaze at her, and guess what? I liked what I saw. And then I began to hear with my ears the stuff she had said. So there began to become a gravitation with me toward her. I'm going to go back a lot of moons, and this is how it normally looks. And you young ones really pay close attention to me. You remember the first time you really begin to speak to your wife? Oh, what a joy it was just to speak. Now, I'm going to read your mail because how many of you would go out on dates and you would spend three or four hours together, and then the minute you'd get home, you would call them again? It was me. Oh, just the sound of her voice. Now, this is where the law of familiarity begins to kick in. So I start getting familiar with her voice, and I start getting familiar being around her. And before long, you know what I start doing? I start holding hands. Woo, there was a twinkle in my eye. Oh, happy day. And before long, we got a little more familiar. And we got to a place I could put my arm around her, and we could hug. And before long, we started doing a little kissing. Been there, haven't you? And before long, the gifts of the Spirit kicked in, a little tongues and interpretation. So what happens, the more familiar we get with each other, the more comfortable we get. 
Now, again, i, I got to be careful in that area, so I'm going to give you four little nuggets just here real quickly on what you cannot do. Number one, if you're not married, you need to be with groups of people as much as you can, okay? It is dangerous for you to be alone. Number two, don't ever go into a bedroom. That's off limits. Number three, keep both feet on the ground. We need to review that one? No. And number four, this is a big one. You got to keep your clothes on. I'm just telling you to live in the light of God because guess what happens? You start becoming attracted to each other. And you know what I'll have said? I, I, I may have calls. I may have letters about this. And I would rather, if you don't like me talking about it, just tell me to my face. But I will tell you this. Isn't it interesting? God said to Peter, feed my sheep. And this is in the Word of God. But within the church, we don't want to talk about it, so we have the thought. We shouldn't talk about that in the church. Well, if the church doesn't talk about it, the world is like a vacuum, and the world will teach us. And if the world will teach you, you know what they say? If it feels good, do it. So again, that's why I'm talking about this to this day, that I've got to see what God says in this area. Now go with me to the book of 2 Samuel. Chapter 13. 2 Samuel chapter 13. Where is 2 Samuel? Well, it's after 1 Samuel. Actually, you go, I should, probably shouldn't have said that. You go to uh, Joshua, to Judges, to Ruth, and then the Samuels, okay? 2 Samuel chapter 13. I, I'm, I'm just going to tell you right now. This is one of the most bizarre stories in the entire Bible to make. So get ready, all right? 2 Samuel, chapter 13, verse number 1. After this, Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar. And Ammon, the son of David, he loved her. What you got to understand, first of all, David had various wives and so, therefore, he had various children from various wives. So, what you see here is this brother, Absalom, and his sister, Tamar, and then his oldest son, which most believe would be the inheritance of the king. His name was Ammon, but Ammon was a half-sister. Ammon was a half-brother to Tamar. So, I look at this, the last part especially, it says, And Ammon, the son of David, he loved her. He loved his sister. Now, every time I read that, I look and I think, this is some crazy stuff. This is some weird stuff. This stuff right here, this, this is kind of a head scratcher. Now, it uses the word he loved her, but I think a lot of times in situations, we get the word love and lust wrong. Love is a condition of my heart Lust becomes a created appetite. How do I know lust is a created appetite? Well, how many in this room have ever said this? I love coffee, and I love ice cream, and I love Shelly. You take a, a, a watered-down version of love, to love my wife the same way I would love coffee? 
And so again, we, we've, we've messed up at times in defining what God says love is. Love is something from my heart. Love is a passion. Keep reading. So Ammon was so distressed, he was obsessed, he was frustrated over his sister Tamar, and he became sick. He became sick physically. So I begin to look at this. What had to happen to this guy named Ammon? I believe immediately he began to pay attention with his eyes with this woman named Tamar, and because he paid attention, he began to think on her. He began to meditate on her. And he thought about her so much it made him sick. But it was improper for Ammon to do anything to her. That statement right there says he knew it was incorrect. He knew it was inappropriate. But Ammon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimei, David's brother. Now Jonadab was a very crafty man. So this guy named Jonadab is Ammon's cousin. Now, it's interesting he said he was a, a, a crafty man. He was a sneaky man. And he said to him, why are you the king's son becoming thinner day after day? Why are you looking weaker? Why are you looking thinner? Will you not tell me? And Ammon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Crazy stuff, huh? So Jonadad said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill, and when your father comes to see you, say to him, Please let my sister tomorrow come and give me food, and prepare the food in my sight, that I may see it and eat it from your hand. Now, I'm just going to tell you right now, this guy named Jonadab, He's encouraging him to live by his flesh. He's encouraging him to live by lust. And I can just tell you right now, if you've got friends that, that encourage you to get into sin, and you need to run from them. Get away from people like that. I don't care if it's your cousin. Have nothing to do with them. Verse 6. Then Ammon lay down, and he pretended to be ill. And when the king came to him, Ammon said to the king, Please let Tamar, my sister, come and make a couple of cakes for me in my sight, that I may eat from her hand. You see something taking place? Not only is he full of lust, he's a liar. These things start coming hand in hand. Verse 7, And David sent home Tamar, saying, Now, Go to your brother Ammon's and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Ammon's house, and he was lying down. Then she took flour and kneaded it, made cakes in his sight, and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and placed them out before him, but he refused to eat. Then Ammon said, Have everyone go out from me. And they all went out from him. Again, you got to stay around people. This is a no-no. When you tell everybody to go home, you're setting yourself up. Verse 10, then Ammon said to Tamar, bring the food into the bedroom. No, don't take the food into the bedroom. Don't do it. That I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them to Ammon, her brother, in the bedroom. Now when she had brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, come lay with me, my sister. 
This isn't Monday afternoon soap opera. This isn't as the world turns. This is in the B-I-B-L-E. This is crazy. Come lie with me, my sister. But she answered and said, No, my brother, do not force me or violate me, for no such thing should be done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. Now, when you read it in Jewish commentary, this is one of the strongest Hebrew expressions there are. It was almost like, don't, don't, don't you dare do this. And if you study it back, the reason it was so harsh is because it would be a self-inflicted curse. Uh-oh. Verse 13. And I, where could I take my shame? And as for you, you would be like one of the fools in Israel. One translation said, you'll be like a stupid fool in Israel. And then he goes on to say, Now therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. If you were to read this in the New Living, it says marriage. And you know what it literally is saying here? If you went to King David, he would not allow you to marry me. He would not allow that to take place. So he hears everything she says, verse 14. However, he would not heed her voice, and being stronger than she, he forced her and he lay with her. Now, when I look at this right here, this man named Ammon, who at the time was 22 years old, she was 15, he sets into motion one of the most shameful and disgraceful and destructive series of actions within the Bible. And, and, and what you begin to see here, he rapes her. When I looked at that and I saw what he took place with what's going on in our society right now, these devils have been around a long time. Still taking place to this day. And when I look at this, and we read this, every one of us in this room would say, that never happened to me. That would never happen. Well, again, you begin to see what happens when men, women, get outside of the Word of God. When I quit living beneath the structure of God's Word. So what you begin to see here is he began to dominate it by lust. Verse 15, then Ammon hated her exceedingly so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love which he had loved her. So what you begin to see here, lust delivers the exact opposite of what it promises. It promises satisfaction, but it leaves you empty. And the fruit of lust is guilt and shame. Now watch what's said here at the end of verse 15. And Ammon said to her, arise and be gone. Literally what, to, what he does here, he makes it look like she petitioned him. He's trying to make it look like it was her fault, it wasn't mine. So now we go back and, and we look at something. The fruit of love is totally different than the fruit of lust. The fruit of love says love is patient. 
Lust isn't patient. The fruit of love says love is kind. Lust isn't kind. The fruit of love doesn't insist on its own way, but lust does. And so you begin to look at the difference right here. Now this guy, Ammon, he opens the door to shame, destruction, and devastation. So I go back to the starting point. Be careful little eyes what you see. And so Ammon's looking turned into lusting. Now why I highlight that is the importance of our thought life. Our thoughts are the forefront or the forerunners of our actions. As a man thinketh, so is he. That's Proverbs 23, 7. So what begins to happen to this guy? And I look at him and I thought, this man would have never dreamed that that first look and that first love would have ultimately came to this. But it did. And so I tell you today, I've got to take inventory on what I allow my thoughts to go on. I can't overlook it and think, oh, that, that, that'll never happen to me. I'm exempt from it. And so again, this guy began to think on this. Now, let me, let me tell you, paraphrase what ultimately happens here. This girl named Tamar's brother, Absalom, he's furious when he found out what Ammon had done. So for two years, he plots how to kill Ammon. After two years, Absalom has Ammon assassinated. He's dead. He's gone. This guy named Absalom begins to become dominated with an area of pride. He has the thought, I should be the next king. He tries to steal the king from, from his father David. And so the Bible says that he's in a great battle and he's trying to escape from this battle. And evidently he's in this real thick uh, forest because he said he's on this horse riding away. And his head and his hair get caught up in this tree, and he hangs to death. So now we go all the way back, and we think, how did this begin? This began by this just this little thing that this guy named Ammon began to look, and he began to lust. But I go back, and I look at this whole thing. Now listen, listen real close. Don't think your, your decisions and your choices only affect you. The same sin that dominated Ammon was handed down generationally from his own dad, King David. I could take you to 2 Samuel 11, and King David, it says in verse 1, he says, when kings were supposed to go out into the spring to battle, he didn't go. He stayed home. And so one night, he's on Netflix. He's flicking around, just looking at TV. It's not what he's doing, but I'm telling what I think he's doing in my time. And he goes out on the balcony and he looks across the courtway and he sees this woman named Bathsheba bathing. Now Bathsheba wasn't doing anything wrong because in their customs when it'd get very hot, they would bathe outside and he sees her. And so guess what he does? He gets out his rangefinder and he starts scoping in. And he begins to inquire and he says, who is that? 
What he saw, he began to meditate on. He started allowing his thoughts to dominate him. So he inquires, and this guy said, hey, she's married. She's married. And you know what he does? I'm the king. No worries. He blows it off. He gets in a relationship with Bathsheba. She gets pregnant. Oh, she's pregnant. So now he's got to act like he wasn't the daddy of it. So he brings her husband, Uriah the Hittite, back from war, and he ultimately has Uriah assassinated. And before long, he has no relationship with God for a whole year. The little baby that Bathsheba's pregnant with dies. And so I begin to look at this, that the very sins that were on King David, it was like a baton. He handed them off to Ammon. Wow. So when you look at this, we have the thought, what's the matter with the little sin? Remember this? The sexual immoral, God will judge. And anything outside the marriage bed, I don't care how you try to dice it, slice it, explain it. You better learn to live within the boundaries of the Word of God. You know what I found in life? The, the destruction of a plate glass window is the same if you hit it with a pebble or a boulder. Go with me to 2 Corinthians 10. 2 Corinthians 10, this is what we'll end with. Some of you say, maybe I shouldn't have came to church on this snowy day. No. Only the truth will set you free. Only the truth, okay? I'm, I'm not the convictor. I'm, I'm the messenger boy. But what the Lord said in John 16, the Lord Jesus said this, the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin. He doesn't convict us of sin to pound the stupid. He says, I love you. I don't, I don't want this to happen. The curse that goes with this. You know, the other night, me and Shelly were at an event, and, and we got around this man. This man was one of the most talented individuals I've ever been around. Many areas of his life. And he gets into sexual sin. We watch it play out years ago. He's removed from his position, and they ultimately restore him. A couple years later, guess what he does? He gets back into sexual sin, so they have to remove him again. We've known this guy for 30 years. And when it says the marriage bed is undefiled, but when I choose to disobey it, that defilement, that, that, that sin, the only one that sins against my own body and my own mind, it began to take place. And, and this guy, when me and Shelly saw him the other night, we could hardly recognize him. Physically, I was like, holy smoke, look at this guy. But more so, his heart. He had no relationship with God. It was almost like God was the farthest thing from him. And Shelly started telling him, man, you've you got to get back into the things of God. How's your marriage? He said, we're still married, but we don't live together. How's your kids? My kids are all goofed up. My son's in rehab. He's doing this and this and this. So again, I highlight, my choices just don't affect me. Let me tell you this right now. 
You can repent of that. God will forgive you. Now watch this in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we live in the flesh as humans, we do not war according to the flesh. Literally stated, we do not fight with human weapons. Now the Apostle Paul here, he's not denying we're in a battle. And he's not denying you got to have some weapons. But it's not of this right here. When you're involved in a spiritual battle, you, you can't physically get the devil in a head. That's not going to happen. So watch what he says, verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare, again, he's telling us we got some weapons, are not carnal, they're not of the flesh, but they're mighty in God. For what? For pulling down strongholds. Now, when you see the word stronghold there, it's anything that opposes the will of God. Strongholds are first established right here in your mind. Right here. And behind every stronghold, there's a bondage. Something that tries to get its foot on you, its finger on you, and tries to hold you down. How many of you ever had a stronghold where you said, man, it's dominated me. I've been there, guys. I, I know this. But the good thing about it, God's going to tell us what to do. So he says this. Mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, the overthrow of destructions, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Now, when you see that right there, Paul is, is referring specifically to warfare that begins in our mind. Years ago, Joyce Meyer had a book called The Battlefield of the Mind. So when you look at this, when he's talking about this, He's saying against arrogant and rebellious ideas. The things of this world, the, the reasoning, and, and literally says to refute these arguments and these theories. And what that would look like right now is our society would say, it's okay. It's all right. Everybody's doing it. Not if I want to live by God's ways. So he says... Everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So guess what he gets over to here? He gets over to high thing. That's pride. Anything that begins to stand up against the knowledge of God. says, I'm not going to do it God's way. I'm going to do it my way. That's pride. I don't need the word of God. I got this. But he said right here, you've got to, to cast those in. You've got to stop that, that everything that these arguments and these theories that come against the Word of God. Now look how he ends this. Bringing every thought into captivity. Bringing every thought to captivity to the obedience of Christ. Literally stated, every thought that opposes the Word of God, you've got to capture it. Treat it like a prisoner. And he said, pull every thought down. So I look at this and I think about renewing my mind. What am I to renew my mind to? i got to get into the Word of God and i got to look and say, this is what Jesus says, and if it doesn't line up with what Jesus said, you better capture it. And how do I capture it? I go back and I say, no, this is what the Word says. So 
I'm going to quote uh, Romans 12 to, uh, to you. Do not be conformed, do not be shaped, do not be molded by this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind to the Word of God. Every one of us in here that have seen strongholds come down, that's the way you start. you got to get in the Word. Start thinking in line with the Word of God. Let the Word of God shape you. Verse 6. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Listen to what I'm going to say right here on verse 6. You cannot defeat the enemy. You cannot defeat the enemy when you willfully live in disobedience. I don't care who you are. If you're living in sin and you think God's going to, it's not going to happen. Well, pastor, I want you to pray for me. Well, let me tell you something about that. My prayers will not override the Word of God. And your prayers won't over the word, override the Word of God. And so I come to a place in my life where I say, okay, this is the thing with, the, with, with God's blueprint. This is how God designed it. If I stay within those boundaries, God will bless it. If I get outside those, I've opened my door or opened my life up to something I don't want to be a part of. Let me end with this. This was a song I heard years ago, but I don't sing it because that would torture you. So let me just say it. It goes like this. How is your thought life? Have you been dating the devil? Have you and the devil been romancing? Break up with that cat. He's a dirty old rat. All he want to do is ride your back. He'll get you down, down, down to the ground and treat you just like a dirty old hound. Don't listen to the devil because he's a liar. All he wants to do is try and destroy you. Don't treat the thought like they never came, but cast them down in Jesus' name. Oh, yeah. It's the same for every one of us. Now, I can stand before you today and I can say, I've been on the curse side of that. Not that I'm proud to admit any of that, but in my teenage years, I was a fornicator. Pastor, you were, I was. But you know what? When I repented of it and I said, Father God, I don't want to live that way. I don't want to live that way. God forgave me and God began to bless me. And the reason is I begin to live my life by the word of God. And so now because of God's grace, the grace of a God who would say, I'll forgive you. But you can't keep living that way. I've been married over 37 years now to the same person. Now that may not be a big deal to you. That's a miracle. So I tell you that, not to pat me on the back, but I tell you that, that when I start living in the confines of the Word of God, God will bless you. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.